Right. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, and if I haven't met you yet, I, I, uh, I'm really glad that you're here. I've been away for a couple weeks in a row and that's long enough that it's just really, really good to be back. And so if you're at our legacy campus or Woodbridge or Sloan Creek or Richardson or in Espanol or you're online right now, uh, really, really glad that you're uh, that you're here today. And in being away a couple weeks, uh, just to kind of let you know what was going on. So um, a couple weeks ago, I took uh, Christy and I took uh, some of our pastors and their wives on a retreat and to get to know each other better and connect at a deeper level. That was great. And then uh, that next week, I went on a cruise. Christy and I went on a cruise with my extended family up in Nova Scotia, Canada, that area. And uh, and that was great, too. My mom uh, went and uh, Kenzie, our daughter-in-law, was her roommate on the cruise. So that was fun. And then my brother and his wife. So we're on a cruise, you know, one of those big cruise boats. You ever been on one of those big cruise boats? Yeah. You know, we haven't done that a whole lot. And so just a few observations about cruising with those big boats. One is, and we all know this if you've ever done it, how easy it is to eat way too much on a cruise, right? And, and I feel like a biggie sized version of Jeff right now, not, not Jeff. Just feels kind of gross right now to be me. And I'm on my way to be regular sized Jeff, and hopefully by next week we'll be there. Um, another observation on this particular cruise, at least in Nova Scotia, is, at least this happened for me, that if you're starting to feel like, oh man, I'm getting older, cruising can be a great way to feel younger. Uh, because it was, it was a crowd that, you know, a lot of them were older, which is great. And, uh, but twice this happened to me where somebody, you know, older than me came up and looked at me on the cruise and said, it is so good to see young people like you who enjoy cruising. <laughs> and I was like, I like you. I like this place. This is great. And, uh, it, but the third uh, observation is how amazing I think we as human beings are, how we can we can find things to complain about, even get upset about no matter where we are. And even on a cruise where there's hundreds of people who work from all over the world to make it an amazing vacation, how you can always find something to complain about if you want to. And, and even maybe get a little irritated. And there's some I found myself doing that, complaining about things and thinking, that's so stupid. Like, you know, why am I complaining about this? And um, and then sometimes people just get downright mad. For example, um, we were uh, we were on a shore excursion, like you get off the boat at a place. And this is one of those shore excursions, a bunch of people. So you're on this big bus with like 60 people, you know, and one of those big tour buses. And so we we had a stop. So we get off and they told us at the first stop that uh, this bus is going somewhere else. So you can't just keep your stuff on the bus. You need to take everything away and then we'll get you know, on, on, a, on another bus when it comes. And you're like, OK, so you get all your stuff. So we did that, got back on the bus. And that's when things got interesting. So there was a guy in front of me who was uh, an older guy, but grumpy, like, you know, he just uh, and he'd been a little bit grumpy uh, earlier, but he got a lot grumpy when we got back on the bus, because when he and when we came to to this one seat, there was a lady sitting in in the seat and he stops and he says, you need to leave because you're in my seat. And uh, and she said, what do you mean your seat? And she said, well, that's that's my seat. That's where I was sitting on the other bus. And you need to move because that's my seat. And she's like, it's not your seat. I'm sitting in it. It's my seat. Nobody said we sit on the same place. You know, when you got back on the bus and he's like, well, that's just the rule of the bus. Everybody knows that if you get off, you go sit at the exact. She's like, I don't even know what exact seat my seat was. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And she's saying and, and I'm thinking this is I mean, this is 
I was, this was like entertainment, right? I'm, this is way better than the excursion. And I'm thinking, you know, it, it, for me, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping it's going to escalate, you know, keep escalating. And it's like, let's get ready to rumble in my mind and like, you know, WWE Smackdown, old people style. And, you know, it's about to happen. And unfortunately, though, she gave up. She relented and she moved to another seat. And uh, and then he sat down, which was actually close to Christine and me on the other side. And I could hear him the whole time on the bus. He just wouldn't let it go. And just under his breath, people can't just sit anywhere they want. You got it. Everybody knows that. You can't just sit anywhere you want. You got to sit in your same seat. And I was like, dude, let it go. You know, it's like, but what we what we get upset about, what we get mad about, we all do. Uh, actually, it tells us a lot about ourselves. It tells us what matters to us and uh, it tells us a lot more about ourselves than we probably think. And so with that in mind, I want us all to participate in something. And I'm not going to ask you to share something that makes you really mad. That's a little personal, but just a little bit. I'm talking about pet peeves. In just a second, I'm going to have you turn to somebody around you. Bonus points if you don't share with somebody that you came with, just so that everybody gets included that way, two or three people. I'm only going to give you 30 seconds. And share a pet peeve. For example, it might be uh, people who are loud chewers, who chew loudly, uh, people who are chronically late, people who drive slow in the left-hand lane, uh, Alabama fans, whatever it is that drives you crazy, just go ahead and share, uh, just real quick, share a pet peeve. Okay, starting to get a little heated in here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna back off. That means stop talking. So, uh, so for how many of you, uh, how many of you would say, you know what? I didn't think about this, but really, one of my pet peeves is when people like you on stage, a pastor or something, makes us do something like we just made us do. Talk to people and all. I, my, me too. That's one of my pet peeves. I hate when people like me do that. So sorry about that. Um, but, you know, if we if we did talk about what especially what really makes us upset, as I said, that actually is really important because it tells us a lot about who we are and about what really matters to us and, and what we're passionate about. And the same thing is true with Jesus. We're in this series called Unexpected Jesus, where we're looking at at times in the life of Jesus we have recorded in the Bible where you look at, at, at the story and you think, man, that just doesn't seem very Jesus like. Like That's unexpected. I wouldn't expect him to to operate like that or or do that. And today is certainly an example of that, because today uh, we're going to be talking about angry Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus get not just a little bit angry, but really angry. And for those of you who are new to Christianity or maybe you're kicking the tires of Christianity and you're curious about Jesus and what makes Jesus tick, you pick a really great week to be here because, again, what we get angry about tells us a lot about ourselves. And we're going to see Jesus get really angry and see what what he's passionate about. Um, and so that's going to be great. It actually has way more to do with you if you're in that category than of a tire kicker and Christianity and stuff if you, than you think, than you probably think. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, it's a huge opportunity because... We said, hey, we want to pattern our life after Jesus, and we're going to see what makes Jesus angry, which means what really 
he's passionate about. And it's been challenging to me all weekends doing these messages and preparing uh, before that in the weeks before that, because I just think, God, am I as passionate about what you're passionate about? And I'm not, uh, you know, as you are. And God, help me. Help me be as passionate as you are about this. And so that's what we're going to be doing. And we're going to be in this New Testament book called Mark. And this story happens in a place called the temple in Jerusalem 2000 years ago when Jesus was on the planet. And just to set up what the temple was. So the temple was the place uh, in uh, in Jerusalem because God had chosen the nation of Israel, the Jewish people to be the one through whom the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus would one day come and and save the world from sin and all that make this broken world right again. He had set aside that nation to be a light to all the nations. And and in Jerusalem, at the center of religious life at the time was this thing, this place called the temple where if you wanted to connect with God, that's where you went. And a lot of things happened at the temple. And so that in this story is taking place at the temple at a specific week called Passover. Now, that was a big deal because Passover was a time where people, Jewish people came from all over the world to celebrate this uh, time of Passover and to do a couple of very important things to do these to do sacrifices for sin, because leading up to Jesus, who's the final sacrifice, as he gave his life on the cross, they would do these sacrifices. And they also paid their temple tax during that time. So all that is going on. And and it was crazy crowded when this story happens in the temple, uh, as Josephus, who was an ancient historian who lived back then, said that there were over 200,000 extra people in the temple that week than normal. And it's not it wasn't that big. So there's just it was crazy. crazy. It's like Black Friday used to be at a mall or maybe still is. I don't know. I don't go there. But Black Friday at a mall 10 years ago. All right. And so there's just people everywhere. And Jesus comes in and he sees something that drives him bananas. And he he gets angry. And here's what happens. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. So they were buying and selling sacrifice, like animals for sacrifice, things like that was going on. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, uh, selling doves. Again, that was a sacrifice thing and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, remember that. But you made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they, Jesus and the disciples, went out of the city. So when I say Jesus got mad, he didn't get just a little bit mad. This wasn't a pet peeve. This was something that he was very passionate about. Whatever bothered him really bothered him in a big way. And, and it wasn't just an impulsive thing either. We learn in the book of John and John's account of the same story. And John was one of the disciples who was there that Jesus actually leaves the temple and he goes and he makes a whip like an Indiana Jones kind of whip. He makes it himself like taking out, I guess, leather cords or I don't know what kind of what he used for the whip, but he actually weaves it himself. And so it's not just this impulsive act. He's he's this is something he's thinking about and all that he's very purposeful about. And he brings that whip and goes Indiana Jones on the people buying and selling in the temple. And he's like, ah, whack, whack. And so just imagine this scene, right? You've got Black Friday crowds in the mall. Or is that what's called Black Friday? 
Okay. I wonder why. Why is it called that? Anyway, sorry. Um, so there are all these people in the mall, in the temple, excuse me, in the temple. And, and he's going, you know, Indiana Jones. And he's, you know, whip, you know with a whip and whack, whack. And people are running around everywhere. The, the money changers, because uh, they had to exchange currency uh, to give. And so there's all these coins flying around everywhere on these marble, on these big marble floors. Uh, he's overturning the tables of the, with, with the doves flying everywhere and these animals running around everywhere, people running everywhere. I mean, it would have been crazy. And, and the disciples would have looked at that and thought, what in the world got into Jesus? Like, what is going on? Like, what would make him get to that level? And that's a great question. And at first glance, you might think, well, you know, teacher, I know, I know, I know, because um, they were, you know, buying and selling stuff in the temple. And it's like we're kind of like that now because we're church. We're God's people now. And you're not supposed to sell stuff at church. So like sometimes we'll sell T-shirts in the lobbies or churches will sell donuts. And you're like, you better not do that because Jesus will come in with a whip and chase out all the donut people. And there'll be T-shirts flying everywhere, you know, you know, you, you know but that's not that's not the issue. That's not what's going on. But then you think at a, at a, at a deeper level and look at the story and think, well, probably what was going on is that these were they were taking advantage of people. Uh, because when you when you came to the temple, the reason they were buying and selling stuff was for convenience to for worship. And it made a lot of sense. Um, for one thing, you came from all over the world, right? People came from all over the world to do these sacrifices. And it's kind of hard to bring an animal, you know, from all over the world. They don't fit in the luggage compartment you know, on the plane or what they didn't have planes, but, um, but you know, it was just, you, so it was a place where you could buy one it also had to be a certain quality level. And it was like pre-approved. You could buy, they also had to exchange money, um, in order to give their temple tax. And the reason was they were under, you know, the world was a Roman world, Roman empire world, and they had Roman currency. And for Jewish people at the time, they hated the nations. They hated Gentiles so much that they considered Roman money. Gentile money is like cooties money. Like you get cooties if you touch it. You don't want to, you know, it's it's ungodly money. It's bad money. You have to exchange it for temple money, for shekels. And so that was going on. That was the money changing thing because that was their mentality about the nations. That was their, that mentality about Gentiles is that they were dirty. They were unclean. You stay away from them. We don't want to be around them. And so you had to do that. So people had to do that. And then he, he says, you've made my temple. And the phrase he uses is a den of robbers or den of thieves. So you think, well, obviously they were robbing people, right? They were thieving. Uh, they were taking advantage of people. And that that probably did happen. And that would certainly make him mad and probably part of the thing that happened. But I don't think that's the main thing that got Jesus so upset for a couple reasons. Uh, one is it says den of robbers. A den of robbers is actually not where robbers rob. It's where den, it's where they hang out. It's, it's your hiding place. It's your it's your ter- it's your home. Like it's your house. It's your place. It's a place you hang out uh, that you hide out from doing your stuff. It's not where you do your thieving. If it's thieves, it's where thieves hang out. He says, you've turned my temple in a place like the bad people hang out And the word robbers. is actually a much broader word than that. It doesn't just mean thief. It doesn't just mean robber. Um. I understand in the context why they would translate it that way, but the word is actually broader than that. The Greek word that's translated robber is actually a word that's much broader. It means outlaw or thug or think like, I mean, it could include robbers, but it's just any violent, 
bad person, right? Like a thug or you think today about like a violent gang member. And a lot of you don't know that part of my story, my before Jesus story, how I was part of a of a violent gang before I came to know Jesus. And then um, and then when I was six, I, I became a Christian and I gave all that up. And uh, but um, so I know what I'm talking about. But the but the den of outlaws, right? Den of thugs. And so when he says that, um, that, that would have gotten their attention because these religious leaders saw themselves as the best people on the planet who were keeping arm's length. The Gentiles, the worst people on the planet. And Jesus is saying, you've turned my temple into a den, a hangout of thugs. You're the worst kind of people, not the best kind of people. And why? Like, what is it? Well, certainly if they were taking advantage of people, that was part of it. But I think it was something much deeper than that that was going on. And how do we know that? Well, it's what he says. And as he quotes, this is what really gets him. It's what he quotes from the Old Testament in Isaiah 56. It's a quote from there. He says, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, he's quoting from Isaiah 56, which would have been a passage that these religious leaders would have been familiar with. And it's a really cool passage. And, and I'm, I'm going to read you the extended passage from Isaiah because it would have they would have been familiar with it. And here's the pa- extended passage. He says to the people of God in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, don't let foreigners, Gentiles, other nations who commit themselves to the Lord, say the Lord will never let me be part of his people. I will also bless the foreigners, the Gentiles, the nations who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. Talking about the temple. I'll accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for who? All nations, everybody. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people, Israel. See, God's heart for the nation Israel, the reason that he chose them was not for them. It was for others. It was for the nations. It was for the world. It was the one through whom the deliverer would come one day. But it was also their mission was to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. They were chosen with that purpose. And God told them, hey, I didn't choose you because you're special. Because you're better. Like one time he told him, you're not like you're worse. You're you're a little dinky nation. And that's what I chose. I I chose it because I like that's how God works. He likes to use kind of dinky little things to do big stuff. And I didn't choose you because you're great because you're not. I chose you because I chose you so that you could be used by me in a big way that you could be a light to all the nations. They got I'm chosen. They didn't get why they lost a sense of purpose. And they, they were looked down at the Gentiles and they shoved away the Gentiles as unclean, as not worthy to be in a place like this. And so when Jesus comes into the temple, what does he see? Well, during the time of Passover, they needed a place, right, to um, to sell the stuff and to do the money changing. And, and where are you going to do that? And there was a special place in the temple that God made for the nations, for the Gentiles, called the court of the Gentiles. And the court of the Gentiles is where it was God's provision for the nations, because that's his heart, right? For people to connect to God. Anybody, anywhere could come, do their sacrifices, connect with him, commune with him. That was the court of the Gentiles. 
So when these Jewish people, for their convenience, needed a place to do the money changing and do the animal selling, guess which part of the temple they chose? The court of the Gentiles. Because to them, it was wasted real estate. To them, it was, yeah, we don't want Gentiles, so that's the perfect place. And God sees that, who has a heart for the Gentiles, a heart for the nations, and it more than ticks him off. And he says, isn't it written, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. And you made it a place of thugs. I mean, you're playing for the wrong team. To make worship more convenient for them, they actually made it difficult for those outside to connect to God. And so if you put, say, okay, what is the point of the story? If you want to make God mad, then make it hard for people he loves to connect to him. It's really all you got to do. Now, 2,000 years ago, you see that story and you think, oh, that's terrible. But I know, you know, Jesus always, you know, was mad at the Pharisees and those kind of people. If you read the Bible and, and the religious leaders and, of course, they're goobers. They're going to do that. Um, but now today, we who are his church, a place where people can connect to God, like who would ever do that? Like, why would anybody want to make it hard to connect to him? And therefore, God gets frustrated. Why would any church do that? Like, nobody would do that. Like, who would do that? And you know who would do that? Me. You. Us. Not because we want to or it's front of mind or we're really thinking that's what we're doing. It's just human nature to be self-focused. And, and we don't even know we're doing it. And, and to, it, it's human nature when we gather together, even something like church with a mission for people outside of ourselves to start doing church in a way that actually keeps those people at, link, at arm's length. Meaning there's just some there's some kind of even though we're the church exists for a mission, there's something in us that we always have to fight. Even a church like this, that works really hard to avoid that, that there's this gravitational pull to build an insider culture to make it comfortable for us. That once we come into the club to make it exclusive, that, that once we come in to kind of do what you know we're comfortable with and even as culture changes and as preferences change and ways of connecting change and what engages people change, we don't change because we like the way we do it. And then as we come in and get our act together a little bit, it's easy to look down our nose at people who struggle in ways that maybe we used to or that we don't and subtly communicate. Yeah, this isn't really for you unless you become like us. We, we, it's just so easy to build an insider culture, even in a, a culture that feels exclusive. Um, don't even know you're doing it. Um, I experienced that. Uh, and, and another way on that cruise that I talked about that I was at a couple weeks ago, because, uh, you know, we had three couples and, uh, and my mom and my uh, daughter-in-law, Kinsey, my mom has cruised a lot. And so she was upgraded to the Neptune level on this cruise. She was in a Neptune suite. Now that may not mean much to you being in the Neptune suite, but it's pretty, pretty great. And Christy and I were not in the Neptune one of the Neptune suites. We weren't at that level. My mom's room was 14. We were room 1044. Okay, just to like. So the Neptune suite's really cool. I mean, there's multiple Neptune suites, but it's cool because you got this big room, you got this big balcony and all this kind of stuff. But you also, you have your own concierge. You're a VIP, which means you don't wait in line. If you want to get into one of the fancy restaurants, you know, other than just the normal people restaurants like Christy and I were in, you all you had to do if they, if they said it was full, you say, well, yeah, I'm in a Neptune suite. Oh, well, of course we can make that happen. Just like that. 
And you also have your own Neptune Lounge. And the Neptune Lounge was really nice. Uh, Because in the Neptune Lounge, you had your own concierge. You had this really great place to be. A better class of people to hang out with. (laughs) Uh, You had the coffee, like Christy loves coffee. The coffee was way better. The normal people coffee was kind of cruddy. She said, but this coffee was awesome. I like to drink tea. The tea was way better in there. The food, they had their own food. They had their own everything. It was cool in the Neptune Lounge. How do I know? Because I went there because my mom was in a Neptune suite, room number 14. So I go in there because Christy wants me to get good coffee. And so I go in there and the concierge and the attendant are there and said, oh, yes, excuse me. uh, What room would you be in? (laughs) Now, my mom was in room 14. So I just said, well, what you need to know is room 14. And she said, oh, yes, yes, Carol Jones is in room 14, in suite 14. Uh, what room would you be in? And uh, I said, well, you know, again, room you need to focus on is room 14. And, uh, and they're like, so, but what room are you? Well, okay, my mom is in room 14. I'm in room 1044. And yes, well, this suite isn't for people in room 1044. This is for people in the, right? And so we, we talk enough, and my sister-in-law got involved, and we got access to the Neptune suite, even though we weren't supposed to be there because mom was there so we could go in, but it's like, keep it on the down low. So we, you know, so we're coming in the Neptune suite five, six, eight times a day, you know, getting stuff. And, and after a few days uh, of that, I mean, the concierge is just getting more and more. The concierge and people who know who we really are, are looking at us like, yeah, I know who you are. 1044. You know, you're not supposed to be here. And, uh, and it just got, you know, it's like, yeah, you can be here, but not really. It is easy to build a church environment that feels that way to those outside of church, to those who don't know Jesus. Just in the way we do church. Hey, yeah, you can be here, but, you know, um, you know, you can be here if, you know, if you look like us, if you act like us, if you talk like us, if you vote like us, if you whatever like us, right, you can be here, but. But you need to clean up your life first. Or you need to whatever first, right? As opposed to the kind of environment that Jesus wants us to create. It just, it just happens. It's this gravitational pull that way to an insider culture that every church is going to fight. And some churches just totally, that's what they become. Um, even a church like this, that is very, I mean, we're really committed to not let that happen. There's always a gravitational pull. Like years ago, I remember this happened in our youth ministries where um, our youth ministries started to blow up in a good way. Like attendance wise, blow up in a good way. And we had all these kids coming from the community who uh, didn't know Jesus. And so they were coming to our youth group and there was starting to be more of them than like our regular youth group kids. And it which was pretty cool. But it was also disconcerting for some people because they would hang out later in the parking lot. And, you know, they were just acting like who they were. Right. So they their language wasn't so great and they were smoking, whatever and all that. And. And, uh, and they were doing, you know, whatever bad things you do when you're like make Alabama jokes, stuff like that. And, uh, out in the parking lot, I'm from Alabama, but, um, and, uh, and so some parents wanted to meet with me and to see, well, what are we going to do about this, about these kids? Cause the idea is they're the wrong kind of kids. They don't belong in the Neptune suite, you know, Neptune line, right? It was kind of the feel. And, uh, and, and I got some of the fear attached to that I get, and cause I had teenagers too, but, um, and so they're saying, you know, they're, you know, what are we going to do? And, and so I was listening to them. And, uh, and then I just repeated back. I said, so the concern is that we're reaching people who are actually really hard to reach, uh, non-churched teenagers 
who are curious enough about Jesus that they're coming to our youth group and learning about him. But then they're not acting like him or like we would want when they leave in, in the parking lot. And, uh, and the concern is they'll rub off on our Christian kids and influence them. And that's kind of scary. And so we need to do something and make sure that they leave quick or they don't come at all or whatever. And, uh, and, and, and to these parents' credit, when you kind of read it back, play it back like that, play back the tape, most of them are like, oh, yeah, that's kind of messed up. Now, we don't want them going somewhere, you know, we don't, and there's ways to address stuff, but, but, but some of the parents were not that way. And I remember some of the parents would say, yes, that's exactly right. The reason I have my kids in youth group is to keep them away from kids like that. And here we come to church and they're exposed to that, and I don't want that. This is our church. It's our kids. We're the one who tithes. We're the one who gives. Like, this is our, and, uh, and I just had to look at him and say, you know, I understand the fear, but we're not here to live by fear. We're here to live by love and mission. And, and uh, so I, we're not going to chase those kids away. Uh, it's people that God loves and wants to reach. And so um, we're going to disciple Christian kids, but in the context of mission, in the context of reaching kids who don't know Jesus, because that's, that's, that's the way God rolls. That's the, what he's called us to do as a church. And, and they're like, well, we're going to leave the church. And they're like, well, that's a bummer, but I can't change that because this isn't my church. It's Jesus's church. He's the Lord of the church. And the thing that gave birth to the church was a mission. And that mission is to reach people that don't know him and to reach people outside. And that's why we're here. But it's just hard, right? To, it's hard to keep that. It's just hard to keep that going. And we work really hard, right, to say, hey, let's, let's avoid doing that. And let's build a culture where non-church people can love to come and can connect to God. And be exposed to Jesus and the opportunity to, to know him. A place where doubters can come and not be shamed for their doubts. A place where skeptics can come and not be made to feel stupid because they have really good questions. A place where strugglers can come and be authentic in their struggle. A place where sinners can come and, 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 and be authentic about their sin and about those kind of struggles. Because, after all, we are all in the same boat. We are all sinners. We're all strugglers. We're all skeptics. We're all doubters. Right? We're all in the same boat on this. We're just different places on the journey. And so we got to do whatever we can to make sure we're that kind of environment. And, and let's make it positive. I mean, if you want to take God off, then go against what I just said. But if we want to thrill the heart of God, it's pretty easy. All you have to do to thrill the heart of God is to make it easy for people he loves to connect to him. I mean, that's why he gave birth to this thing called church. That's what he calls us to do. To do church in a way it's not just about us, but for those who aren't here yet. To live lives that are not about us, but for others. And when that happens, I mean, Jesus told us that he gave us a window of heaven. He said, hey, the, you know what happens in heaven? You know what makes heaven rejoice? The only thing he said that makes heaven rejoice right now in a broken, fallen world where so much bad stuff happens between now and when Jesus comes back to fix it. He said every time a person who's lost to God finds a relationship with him, every time an outsider becomes an insider, heaven rejoices. Then say heaven rejoices when we have a great Bible study or heaven rejoices when we have a great worship service. And God loves that. He does. But if you really want to get to the heart of God. Right. Then it's every time a lost person comes to know him. As a church, here's the way we've kind of say that it's one of our DNA statements that drives our church. Uh, this is not our party. 
Uh, the reason it says this is DNA segment, this is not our party. It's from another time in which Jesus was trying to help us understand the heart of God. And he tells this parable and the, this story. And the story is, he said, let me illustrate the kingdom of God. He said, the kingdom of God's a party. It's a really great party. Um, and it's a party for all the people who don't get invited to parties that are good. And, uh, and, um, and he said, so he tells the people, his servants who prepared this party, um, he said, man, I want you to go on the highways and byways and find everybody who doesn't belong at parties like this, who never get invited to parties like this. You invite them and they do and come back and it's not full. And he said, keep going, keep going and, and get all the people who are all the wrong kind of people. The kingdom of God is for a party of the wrong kind of people. Because you know what? We're all the wrong kind of people. All of us are. Right. We're all sinners that God deeply is just madly in love with and, and wants to connect with. And so therefore, when we gather together, that's what it means. This is the father's party. It's not our party. When we gather like this, it's the father's party. And we are his servants privileged to prepare the party and invite the guests. We design our environments to not only be relevant for us, but for those who have yet to come. Meaning this is our, not our party. It's the father's party. And when we get into the party, our job is to prepare the party and invite the guests, meaning do what we do, not for us, but for others, for those who aren't here yet. Because that's God's heart. So what does this mean if we break it down really specifically? Uh, well, some of you may feel like when we talk about insiders, outsiders, some of you would say, you know what? I'm much more of an outsider than an insider. Maybe it's your first time to come to church. And you're like, yeah, I definitely feel like an outsider. Or maybe, uh, you know, you're, you've been wounded in the past by church. Maybe you're trying church out again. It's been years, maybe even decades, because you've been wounded in church because you've been pushed out by Jesus people. Maybe you've been judged or you've been belittled or you've been condescended to or you've been rejected or you just felt like, yeah, I, I wasn't good enough to be there or I didn't make the grade or whatever it is. And you... You've just been hurt by church and been away from it. And by the way, you're in good company at Chase Oaks because I, I would guess that our church is half full of that story. That was my story when I came. And my guess is this church is half full of people with that story who are trying out church again after some bad church experience. And I just want to say, if that's your experience as a pastor, I'm sorry. I mean, I really am sorry. That you've been wounded, that you've been hurt, that you've been judged, that you've been shoved out. And as a pastor of this church, let me say, if that ever happens here, if you feel that way, we work really hard to avoid that. But if that happens, I want to know that. Because I want us to be better. And that would help us get better. For those of us who are insiders, who are part of Chase Oaks, which means you've been here once or more and you want to be part of Chase Oaks, that's all it means to be a Chase Oaker. Uh, we don't have a formal membership thing. A lot of times people say, well, what do you have to do to be a chase hooker? You know, what steps do you have to take or whatever? And we have no bar. We're a no bar church. Some churches are better than us and they've got a bar and you got to do all this stuff. And then you're like, in. and for us, it's like, hey, we're here by great God's grace. It's a gift. So if you want to be in and you're open to God and you want to be a chase hooker, anybody want to be that you're in You're a chase hooker. All right. So once we're a chase hooker, right, because there's no bar of entry, what does it mean for us? Well, it means it's not our party. It's no longer about us, our privilege. To, our, it's our privilege to prepare the party and invite the guests. So what does that mean? Well, let's talk about prepare the party. I'm part of that preparing the party is realizing, hey, this is a party, not for us, but for others. And parties don't just happen. 
Right? Parties happen because people make them happen. So what does it mean to make them happen? Well, part of it is to make sure we stay like we resist in our own mind, in our own heart, that insider pull. And we say, God, don't let me go there. Don't let me make my life about me. Don't let me just make church about us. God, help, help us always think about those who aren't here yet. And when we find ourselves, by the way, complaining about church, and that'll happen, um, that's fine. It may be a very legitimate complaint. I mean, be godly in what you do with it. Take it to the right person, that kind of stuff. But also ask yourself the question, like I have to, is what am I complaining about? Like, is it a legitimate complaint? Complaining's fine. Being angry about something's fine. But, but is what motivates us? And if it's about me, if it's just a self-oriented thing, well, I don't like the way we're changing this, or I don't like that, and I don't want to change my group. I don't want to open it up to new people. I don't. If it's a self-oriented thing, then you're like, oh, okay, God bonked me on the head. I'm just being stupid. Because it's my privilege to give up my preferences for the sake of those who aren't here yet. That's what we do. That's how we roll. But sometimes a legitimate complaint, like, hey, we're not doing good enough reaching those who don't know Jesus and, and we need to do better. That's great. That's one in the heart of God. Well, then you say, okay, once we do that, then how do we prepare the party? Well, again, parties don't just happen. So one of the ways we prepare, like this is a party right now. As we gather together, this is like a party. Our kids own right now at every campus. That's a party. Trust me. That's really a party. Um, our student ministry that happens to, at night, uh, lift uh, on Sunday nights. That's a party. Uh, but it, those parties don't just happen. They happen because people serve and people give. That's the way God arranged it. And it's our opportunity to both serve and give to say, man, I, you know, cause there come a time where, man, I need to help make the party happen. And I need to serve in kids Zone or in adult ministries or a small group or whatever. As, as we make these parties where people can connect with God and grow deeper in the faith. And if you're not serving, I, I get that. And that sometimes that's legit because you have to figure some stuff out or be healed from some bad experience or just chill a little bit. But at some point, God's going to call you to say, hey, it's time to make the party happen. Same thing with giving. Uh, many the way this place happens is people who give regularly and faithfully. And I don't know if you realize that's the way God arranged it. But I don't know if you realize that, that God set it up to where the church does where where those who are Jesus people. We say it's called tithing. We set aside a percentage of our income that we decide before God and we give it regularly. And that's how this place functions. And most people do that by going online or doing it on the Chase Oaks app. They do it electronically, which is why when the plates go by, this is the most common question I get at Chase Oaks is how does Chase Oaks run on the money that's in that plate that goes by? Because you really know how to stretch a dollar, literally like, you know, because some people give that way. and That's fine. But most people don't. Most people give in ways we can't see in the baskets and. And you can be here and not give, but at some point God's going to call you to say, you know, hey, help make the party happen. And God blesses us when we do. That's another sermon. But to prepare the party and then invite the guest. Should say plural, invite the guests. Because most people aren't just going to come. We can prepare the party, but people aren't just going to come to a party like this, especially church in our culture. It's hard to go to church if you're not a church person. Pretty intimidating thing to do. And some of you, and I'm amazed by you, you are here and you've come by yourself. You saw us online or you drove by or somebody just told you about it somehow. And you showed up on your own to come into church. That says a lot about you. And that's really cool. A lot of good things about you. But most people aren't bold enough or motivated enough to do that. For most of us, the way we came here, somebody invited us. The way I came to Chase Oaks was years ago. A friend named Jack invited me. And I'm really glad he did. I didn't, I didn't know there was a church like this in existence that I got to be part of. And I'm very thankful for that. Even before that, 
uh, before I was a Jesus follower. You know, I was a I was a junior high student and a friend invited me to youth group. A guy named Don invited me to his youth group. I had no idea how that would change my life. Just going to that youth group that one night. And that's the cool thing about invitation to the party is that inviting is one thing you can do that has the power to change everything for somebody. I mean, think about you. I mean, aren't you glad somebody did that? And it's your opportunity, my opportunity to do the same thing for somebody else. And so what does that mean? Well, just right now, just think about, you know, who in your life are you investing in relationally that doesn't know Jesus in your school, if you're a student or work or in your neighborhood or whatever sports team, whatever you do. And do we make time for those relationships? Because that's God's hardest for people who don't know him yet. And then and this is a place designed to be able to invite our friends. But people only come if they're invited. And, and by the way, the best way to invite in just saying, hey, you should try my church sometime. They're like, yeah, whatever. And you have to go through. Well, no, it's different. Really, you should try is better than that even to just say, hey, try it sometime. It's just, hey, why don't you why don't you sit with me? Just come and sit and sit with me. Just try it out. That's a whole lot stronger and a whole lot easier to say yes to because most people just aren't going to show up.